0: We turn in God's Word tonight to Matthew 15, Matthew's Gospel account, chapter 15. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, But that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then he answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth out, or goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draft? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. This far we're going to read God's word tonight. Our text is found in verses 10 and 11. And then also an explanation of what Jesus says there in verses 15 through 20. So we'll read just those verses. Verses 10 and 11. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And in verse 15. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draft? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, Adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. There is a danger that threatens the members of the church at any given time in the history of the church. That danger is easily summarized for us in two words. Dead orthodoxy. Dead orthodoxy is not the same, obviously, as orthodoxy itself. Orthodoxy is when one holds to sound doctrine, Orthodoxy is faithfully, or an orthodox man faithfully adheres to the truths of Scripture, and he does so out of a heart that is filled with faith in the truths that are expressed there. Dead orthodoxy is adherence to those certain set of doctrinal distinctives, Adherence to the codes or the traditions prescribed by a particular church It's even a careful following after the rules and customs that a church deems necessary for a Christian life But it is following these prescribed practices of the church And the doctrines and teachings of the scripture as if these things in Themselves are a matter of true faith and will save a person. One who is guilty of dead orthodoxy is convinced that these doctrines of the church are right and the traditions and customs of the church are that which he or she wishes to follow. In fact oftentimes one who is guilty of dead orthodoxy would say there's nothing better than these. But his worship of God is nothing more than a a mere outward conformance to the dictates of the church and a mere holding to those, in an outward way, those doctrines of the scriptures without seeing in the heart a real need for salvation from sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. Something, of course, to which those truths of the word of God, lead a person. The Pharisees were guilty of dead orthodoxy, a mere formalism. And as we'll notice a little later on, that came out also in their legalism. That's nothing more than placing emphasis on the outward deeds of the law and saying nothing about the inner disposition of a man or a woman's heart. That's what Jesus now faced when these Pharisees confronted him once again while he was preaching. They came to Jesus in an attempt to slur his integrity as a teacher of the people. Why do your disciples now eat food with unwashing hands? That's not according to the tradition of the elders that they gleaned from the Old Testament laws of Moses. You did not teach them that that's a tradition of the church, that they might not eat food without washing their hands first? If you didn't teach him that, you are not much of a teacher. You're not a very good person if you allow your disciples to do something that's, well, against the tradition of the elders. When the Pharisees brought this accusation against Jesus, Jesus was given an excellent opportunity, as he often had during his earthly ministry, to teach the people around him two things. One, to reveal to them that the tradition of the elders had themselves become corrupted and therefore far from necessary. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. That in the first place. And then number two, to show the people that the true worship of God must always be from the heart. And it's the last of these two that we're going to consider now tonight. Consider with me, the heart defiles a man. The heart defiles a man. In the first place, corruption from within. Secondly, Christ's command to hear and to understand this. And then finally, bringing humble worship before our God. We perhaps would not be so quick to call what Jesus speaks in our text a parable, except that this is exactly what the disciples themselves recognized it as. Peter says in verse 15, Declare unto us this parable. So we have before us tonight a mystery of the kingdom of heaven that defines a parable. They're the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So that Jesus now is pointing out that there's a genuine truth in what he is saying about God's kingdom here. And he shows that by means of an earthly example parable he speaks is verse 11. Not that which goeth goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth a man. Though the Pharisees understood that immediately and were offended by that, the disciples recognized that those Pharisees were offended, the disciples of Jesus did not seem to pick up as quickly the obvious meaning of that brief parable. And for that reason Jesus or Peter asked Jesus about what he meant by that. And Christ then elaborated on that just a little bit more in verses 17 and 18 of our text. Do not ye understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. In these verses, we are taught that what a man puts into his mouth to eat cannot defile a man's heart or a man's soul. Food cannot pollute or corrupt a person's soul from a spiritual point of view. That's simple to understand. It does not take a man, or does not make a man uh, evil by eating a steak or a granola bar. That's not something that would pollute a person's soul. What man eats simply goes into the belly, Jesus says. It's digested, and once it's digested, it's cast out into the draft. And that's an old English term that refers to, well, what we might say to thee is it's excreted into a toilet, passes through a person's system, and it's gotten rid of so much for the food. The point is well taken. Food cannot defile a man's heart or soul. The only thing that it perhaps might defile is a man's body itself. What in reality pollutes a man from a spiritual point of view, however, is not what goes in at the mouth, but what comes out of a man's mouth. That is, that which is first of all conceived of in our heart, and then comes out through our thoughts, our desires and is expressed now with the mouth. So that corruption Jesus is teaching us is not physical. Corruption is moral and it is indeed spiritual. It never comes into the mouth but is in the heart already. And because it's in that heart, it comes out in a person's mouth or in his actions. So that's the parable that Jesus spoke to the multitude. The explanation of this parable Jesus gives in the last couple of verses now of his uh, explanation to his disciples, verses um, eight, or 19 and 20. Out of the heart, he says, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Now, we are made to see that Jesus had direct reference now to the charge that the Pharisees were leveling against him. Namely, that his disciples had eaten food without, first of all, washing their hands. That was considered a tradition of the elders, a violation, therefore, they felt of the laws of Moses, because, after all, that tradition, they believed, was gleaned out of those laws of Moses and was recorded in the book there of the traditions of the elders since perhaps one may have touched while in their everyday life, especially in the marketplace, something that was handled by a Gentile. Maybe they had bought in pots and pans there, or some other item, and they may have bought that from a Gentile in the marketplace. They may have touched that with their hands. And when they did that, well. Because the Gentiles were an unclean people, your hands became defiled. They became unclean too. So if you failed to wash those hands before you fixed the food and you ate the food, then the defilement of that Gentile, the uncleanness of that Gentile, would be transferred to that food. You would eat that food and it would defile your soul. You may do that. That was the tradition of the elders. At one and the same time now, Jesus exposed the foolishness of that tradition and made plain that sin now is not a matter of what's going to go in your mouth, but sin is a matter of the heart. And it is that sin that defiles a man. It comes out of his mouth and it is revealed in the external actions of a man. The heart now in verse 19 of our text does not refer of course to this physical heart that's now beating in our breasts. But the Bible in many different places speaks of the heart as the, the spiritual core. or the spiritual center of a man's being. In Greek and in Roman thought, the heart was considered that out of which proceeds all of a man's thoughts, all of his desires, all of his emotions. But the the Bible defines heart in a more specific way. It defines heart as the very center of a person's morality. The center of a man's or a woman's spirituality the heart is that which places us therefore in contact with the spiritual its its the life source of our soul that's a man's heart and therefore it is that within man which determines whether he is going to do good or perform evil if the heart is corrupt If the heart is defiled now with sin, if that heart is depraved, then what is going to proceed out of that man's spiritual center are wicked thoughts and wicked desires. And then those thoughts and those desires of one's soul manifest themselves in the things that a man says. Or these evil thoughts and desires will produce evil evil in our mouths, evil in the actions of our bodies. And then the opposite is true as well. If that heart is purified, and if that heart is cleansed, then also out of that heart is produced evil or good thoughts, good desires, which manifest themselves in the way that a person speaks or in his actions. So Jesus' point is this. The heart of man is not defiled or polluted simply because he eats food with unwashed or unclean hands. Sin does not originate from the outside and goes in. It originates from the inside and proceeds out. Very simple instruction that Jesus gives. And that's the point of the examples now he gives to us in verse 19. Out. Of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These things come out of the heart. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. When we think evil of another, then that's something that comes out of a sinful heart. And then when we think evil of another, well, that comes out on that little tongue that is set on fire from hell, and out comes slander, and out comes evil speaking, and out comes backbiting out of the heart. When a man murders another, then that murder is first of all conceived of in the heart, and it only results in the actual deed of murder. I can't, in fact, be just as guilty, we know from our treatment of the law, of murdering someone, because so often in my heart I have killed a brother or a sister, even when that sin hasn't been translated necessarily into actions. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner not merely in my actions, Jesus is teaching us, But when I look deeply into my heart, that's where I can see my sin is conceived. Same is true with adultery and fornication. Jesus says to us, if a man lusts after a woman, in his heart he's already committed adultery or fornication. So adultery and fornication only only are conceived of in the heart first, and then it proceeds out into our actions, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, all proceed out of evil thoughts, out of evil desires, the intents of the heart, before becoming manifest in our lives. Now I suppose, people of God, we could stop at this point with that very simple instruction of the parable that Jesus gives to us. But to do so, I believe, really would not do total justice to the point of this parable, and that especially now within its context. Jesus wants us to look into our hearts. He wants us to look into our hearts not only to find sin, but to examine our relationship with God there in our hearts. See the Pharisees they were good at what they did. They placed all the emphasis on a mere outward keeping of the laws and the traditions of the Jews. Was it? They were good at that. In modern terms they knew the doctrines of the Old Testament scripture well and they kept strictly all of those traditions, which in their minds now flowed forth out of those doctrines that they learned out of the Old Testament law of Moses. Their external lives, squeaky clean, exemplary. One would never catch them, at least not in public, eating with unwashing hands. Not at all. They made long prayers in the marketplace for people to hear. Big, long, beautiful, well-worded prayers for people to hear. They wore the proper clothing. They paid tithes of mint and cumin and anise. They visited the widows. On the other hand, they made sure that they did not walk more than a Sabbath day's journey. They were not con- going to converse together with a Gentile. They would eat nothing unclean in the way of unclean foods and so on. So that the outward life and the actions of the Pharisees were in the eyes of the people anyway, near perfect, near perfect. The Pharisee was actually looked upon with awe and, and with reverence because they were orthodox. There was no one quite so holy as the Pharisees. but the Pharisee had a fault. His orthodoxy was dead. and he was dead because the things that he did were not done out of a true and a living faith that connected him with the Messiah. I mean, it looked like he did. To all outward intents and purposes, he appeared the most avid of worshipers of God, but all of that service was done in external rites and customs, and it had nothing to do with the heart. A heart that recognized what sin was. And a heart that recognized the need for that coming Messiah. Good and evil? It wasn't a matter of the heart of the Pharisees. It was a matter of external works only. So so that was the sin, you see, of these Pharisees that Jesus himself confronted throughout his entire ministry. Pharisees saw no need for salvation from sin and his worship rested only in the externals. So that was the sin now that Jesus was condemning in this particular parable. That's the sin that threatens the church of Jesus Christ of all ages. Neither are we exempt from that especially as we are born in the line of generations and can be prone to go through the motions just because the generation before us went through the motions. How easy, how easy to judge ourselves worthy of fellowship with God on the basis of what we're doing, our outward works, rather than what we find here as the desire of our hearts, how easy it becomes, how easy it becomes to, to live our lives according to all of the externals, you see. And then think nothing of worshiping God from within. And out of a true desire that in all of our worship we are looking to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of those truths that are so precious and dear to you and me as believers are truths that lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God's name. Some in the church insist that the best way of keeping sin out of the church is by means of passing all kinds of laws and traditions we said, this is something that went hand in hand with the error of the Pharisees. Their formalism, their dead orthodox, was rooted in their legalism. The same believe that there is little liberty in the lives of the church or the lives of the saints, but everyone must conform to their set of rules, you see, that they're, they're establishing. So that it seems that, that, it seems as if those rules, those regulations of the church are, are what dictates the life of the child of God rather than, than the heart, you see. I mean, what makes me such a good believer? I'm going to church two times on Sunday. Not saying that that's not something we should do. We certainly should do that. But is that what makes us worthy of God's fellowship? Because I'm I'm doing that. That's all. Doesn't matter if I hear the minister or not. I'm, I'm a church after all. Is singing from the one thousand, nine hundred and twelve psalter what saves me? Is using the King James Version what saves me? I'm not saying that these are not good. But do I begin to look at these things as, well, making me just a little bit more worthy of fellowship with God? And then, of course, a strict maintenance. I, I insist these are the right doctrines, and they might be. But all I see is that in that insistence alone on doctrine, that's what makes me worthy in God's sight. That's Phariseeism, you see. And that's what Jesus is addressing here in the words of this parable. Obedience to God on the one hand and sin on the other hand. Jesus says, proceeds out of the heart. And all of these externals in themselves can not necessarily proceed out of the heart, but might become only external deeds that we perform. And Christ was vehemently opposed to that type of an attitude that the Pharisees now were exhibiting. Now, This doesn't mean that that Jesus is is teaching here in these verses that error that's commonly known as antinomianism. Jesus does not teach us here that we ought to just plain disregard what the scripture is teaching us about what the truth of God's word is. How important that is. Precious truths that we maintain as a church of Jesus Christ. That's important. Very, very important. Jesus isn't teaching here, well, you could just ignore God's commandments and and then go on in life satisfying your own desires because, well, that's a matter of my liberty that I can do that. So we may flop over to the opposite extreme either. Jesus isn't teaching us that. Such, of course, forget about the fact that man's heart is, in fact, deceitful above all things. And if all we're doing is following our own heart now, as they say that we should, then, obviously, as we mentioned this morning, we're going to lead our hearts astray from God. So, true obedience to God is also found in the proper attitude of the heart with respect to God and to God's Word. It's the earnest attempt, you see of the heart to be holy because God is holy that's my desire in my heart not just to walk a bunch of external ways but to be holy here conformed to God's will in my heart, it's a heart that desires to try in every way conceivable to please my God, we do that we strive to please our God, even, even if, there is some, if there's not some rule that covers that, that particular aspect of my life. I don't need that rule. In my heart, I seek to be holy as God is holy. And on the other hand, sin. I hate sin. I hate it with my heart. I know the corrupt nature that I have within me, a nature that's always attempting to transgress the limits of God's Word. And I know that sin, that sin is not not just simply a violation of a church practice or tradition or a doctrine of Scripture in the outward deed, but sin is found here in my heart That's what Jesus is teaching. It flows out of a a corrupt nature that we find within us. That's a dangerous threat. And we have heard now the dangerous threat to our spiritual well-being. As believers, we, we hear that. So the command of Jesus Christ now in the Word of God that we have before us is found in verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. And we do not want Jesus to hear the words of Peter and the disciples when he said to them in verses sixteen and seventeen, Are ye? Also so yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand? We are called upon by our Savior here to to pay attention, to understand what Jesus is telling us. That's the idea of the word here, to pay attention to. And then, of course, we must apply our hearts, hearts that are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, of course, to a deep understanding of what Jesus now is attempting to teach you and me and the church of Jesus Christ. So the command is this, take note of this, people. Take note of this and understand what I am saying to you. And we can do that. We can do that by God's grace, a grace that works within our hearts, having delivered us into the light of our salvation. The Pharisees, the Pharisees knew what Jesus was speaking. As we said, they caught on before the disciples actually knew. And yet they did not hear They did not understand what Jesus was teaching them here. And Jesus explains why that's true in a couple of chapters previous to this one, Matthew 13. He explains why they could hear and yet not hear and understand what he was saying, yet yet not understand spiritually. He says in Matthew 13, verse 11, because it is given unto you, people of God, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it is not given. And Then a few verses later in uh, verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables. This is what he's speaking to us, a parable. I speak to them in parables because they, seeing, see not... By hearing, they hear not, and neither do they understand. So Jesus says here, hear it and understand what I'm saying to you, and the Pharisees could hear it. They could understand what Jesus was saying to them, and yet they couldn't hear it. They they couldn't understand it with their hearts. In other words, what Jesus was teaching here in our text, fell on dead hearts. Hearts in whom God did not work by His grace. In hearts that Christ did not work in by His Spirit. They were unbelieving hearts. But but, but the Pharisees were exemplary in their walk of life. They were... They were so holy. How can you honestly say that they were unbelievers? Listen to what Jesus says now concerning them in verse 8 of the chapter we read tonight. This people, and this is a quote from Isaiah, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now Jesus applied that to the Pharisees, but that was something that Isaiah was applying to the saints in the Old Testament. Not to the saints, sorry. To the members of the outward church now, to Judah and to Israel in the Old Testament. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. They didn't hear. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what the sacrifices were all about in the Old Testament. They didn't understand all of the ceremonies of the law of Moses, that they were all necessary to lead the church of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament to their Savior, to their Messiah. They didn't understand that. So they put all of their trust in those sacrifices. If I go to the temple and I sacrifice, that's going to save me. The action itself is going to save me. Going through the motions is what's going to save me. Their hearts were darkened in unbelief. The Pharisees' hearts were darkened in unbelief. And no matter what Jesus now told those Pharisees, they weren't going to change their ways. Not at all. They heard, but they did not hear with a believing heart. They understood what Jesus said, but they did not understand with any kind of a spiritual understanding of faith. And that attitude of the Pharisees must not, must not, Characterize us as God's people. When we hear these words of Jesus, then they make us think. Why do we follow the blessed truths, the doctrines of Scripture? Do we follow them simply because that is, after all, what we were taught to do? So we do it out of custom, out of habit, that's all. Do we think that an external performance of what God teaches us in His Word will somehow, that will somehow save us, will somehow make us worthy of having fellowship with the ever-blessed God? If that's true, then we have to hear, and we have to understand. If that is indeed the attitude of our our heart, then there's no room in our heart for Christ, you see. The only conclusion to which we may come as we look into our own hearts is that God desires truth on the inward parts. God delights in a man or a woman who seeing their sins come to him with a broken and a contrite heart. The man who knows his sin and is humbled by his sin and, and knows that that sin from within really bars him from the fellowship of God so that he's humbled low in that sin. Hear the words of David. In Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Such a heart that's broken and contrite that that, that knows it's sin. That's the kind of heart that by God's grace reaches out now to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we know that there alone, and we know that in our hearts, there alone, of course, we are forgiven of our sins. And there alone we have fellowship with our God. This is why right now we bow before the cross of Jesus Christ and and, and we look into our own hearts. We don't just look at our outward actions. We do not look at long prayers that we have made. We do not look to see, to see if we have attended church faithfully or not. We, we do not look as to whether we have followed to a T some of the traditions that we have as churches. But we look at our hearts and we examine what is in them. Why? Why do we perform all of these things? Why? Out of love for God? Out of love for the neighbor? Or simply out of custom and habit? So now look again. What do we find lurking in the inner recesses of our own hearts? Is there hatred or loathing for a brother or sister in the church? Well, oh, then there's going to be evil speaking and murder. Is there lust after another man or woman in our hearts? Well, oh, then we have committed fornication and adultery. Is there greed or covetousness for what another has? Well, then we've stolen. Do we think evil of another? Then there's going to be false witness. There's going to be blasphemies. What, what then do we confess concerning ourselves I am a sinner saved by God's grace. Then, dear sinner, we need Christ. Looking in our own hearts. That's the question that we ultimately ask ourselves. Do we need Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has freely earned for you and me on the cross? So Christ commands us, hear and understand what I'm saying to you. Accept your righteousness. Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and of the Pharisees. You will in no wise enter into the kingdom of God or heaven. To understand this is to know, really, what the true worship of God is in our lives. Only then will we humbly come before our God with the true knowledge of our need for Christ and worship Him in the beauty of holiness and desire in our worship, fellowship with the ever-blessed God. We need Christ. And with that knowledge, we come before God on bended knee and we worship Him. We, we sorrow over sin. We repent and we look to God for deliverance. And Then all those blessed truths that He's given to us, we will begin to see in them all that they really lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. And to deny those truths leads us away from the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we believe these things. Christ gives us salvation in the cross of our Savior. and By His blood alone, you and I are redeemed from evil, from the very evil and sin that plagues a person's heart, and out of which come now evil speakings and evil actions. We look, therefore, don't we? Always we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we cling to Him and we find comfort also in that cross of our Savior because there alone is our salvation. And then from the heart, true worship of God will flow, a a a worship that truly brings glory to the name of our God, Uh, songs that will be sung to His glory. Hear and understand Know your heart and then draw nigh unto God, not with just lip service, but with our hearts. God give to you and to me those humble hearts that live out of the life of Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, before Thee again we bow in this day, a second time in this worship. And we give unto Thee our praise and our thanksgiving. Thou hast delivered us from our sin in the precious blood of our Savior. And all our praises, all of our worship, ring out to Thee from hearts that are filled with gratitude for the salvation Thou hast given unto us. Indeed, Father, may we give Thee service from the heart. May we love Thee there and where oftentimes our own sinful flesh would lead us away from these things, forgive us. Forgive us for the sake of our Savior. Now go with us in this week to come too, so that we might go forth in holy service unto thee our God. For Jesus' sake, amen.